Broadcasting live from Global Headquarters and RP Enterprises in Greenwood, Missouri. Stand by on this frequency. After 22 years of entertaining FM radio listeners across the U.S., across the U.S., this man is the owner and executive producer of the award-winning Heartland Waterfowl on Sportsman's Channel, CEO and founder of Dumar Chemical Solutions, and the man behind the mic of Papa Ron Radio Voiceovers and Production. He's the man, the myth, the legend, a global icon, future Nobel Prize winner, and of course he paid me to say all this. Really? Literally. Welcome to the Papa Ron Podcast. Here's your host, Ronnie Phillips. Ronnie Phillips. Welcome back, episode five! Yeah. Episode five of the Papa Ron Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You can also not only tune in, listen to all of your on your all of your podcast platforms, you can also watch this podcast on Spotify. You can watch this podcast on the Papa Ron Podcast YouTube channel. So I encourage you to check it out. And you can even as far as be involved in the show. 816-558-6389. You can call, leave a voicemail, or you can text in. Uh, make sure you're following the Papa Ron Podcast on all your favorite social platforms, whether it's Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. Um, I even post some stuff on my LinkedIn page. You can find out about upcoming guests, different show topics, and then that will allow you to know why you would want to call in or text into the show. 816-558-6389. Of course, it's my goal Every single week to film this podcast, and I wouldn't be able to do that if it wasn't for Marathon Media Management, my man. Say hello, Quentin. It's uh, Quentin Verlinick. Uh, Dakota Thurn could not be here tonight, but Quentin and Dakota are a part of Marathon Media Management. They're a huge inspiration as to why I'm doing this podcast in the first place, and um, and they help me with the filming of this show. So big shout out to them. Also. I want to um, thank all of the people who have reached out over the last four weeks because the feedback has been phenomenal. We've talked about a variety of different topics uh, on the Papa Ron podcast. It started off about my story, and I'm not going to get deep into that right now. You'll have to go back and listen if you haven't done that yet. But uh, my story that dealing with anxiety and depression and how that inspired the podcast in the first place to the next week in, in episode two, talking about the Heartland premiere and, and, the, and the battle against human trafficking and how, how bad that problem is right here in the middle of the heartland. We've talked about suicide awareness, addiction, uh, substance abu- abuse. Um, and then last week we had a lot of fun with uh, Mike Keller and Jenny Matthews of the Q104 Morning Drive talking about radio and then um, their issues with anxiety or Jenny's issues with anxiety and depression. And then the issues that both of those two had with their families with uh, infertility. So a wide variety of topics. And this week we're going to challenge that even more. So tonight's guest is a good friend of ours, Quentin and I. Uh, He's a member of Heartland Waterfowl. He's the owner of Valley Oaks. I'm going to call it Valley Oaks Outdoors. Okay. Just so that everybody has the association there. Uh, The guy's got, he's kind of a jack of all trades. And uh, Nate and I actually really connected a lot here in the last several months um, because of that particular hunt that we were on 
when I came clean with the, the stuff that I was battling internally. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the Papa Ron Podcast, Nate Meyer. Yeah. Uh, good evening, Ronnie, man. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited to talk about what I got to talk about and yeah, what we've talked about in the past couple months. We've talked about a lot, that's for sure. Before we get into all of that, and let me just kind of preference it by saying, Nate is a, um, is it the word retired? Should I say retired? United States? Yeah? Okay, well, anyway, he served in the United States. I don't States. know the best way to say it. I don't know. Nate served in the United States Navy, and you did... Um, a few tours. Was it Afghanistan or Just Iraq? One, one tour in Iraq. One tour in Iraq. 0405. Okay. So <clears throat> as you can imagine, Nate saw some things that none of us would ever want to see. Um, and because of that, he has uh, recently come clean with his battle with PTSD. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Before we get into that, we mentioned that you are a part of Heartland Waterfowl. You're big into hunting. You're a huge contributor to what we do with Heartland Waterfowl. You've been a part of the show now for how long? 10 years. Has it been? Well, I mean, but officially on, on board, you've probably been on board for seven. Six, seven, six. Yeah. Yeah. And then you recently just acquired your own outfit operation, which is pretty cool. So where do we want to start? I think we ought to start with Valley Oaks Outdoors. So you had the opportunity with all the connections that you had in this, in this region, in the Kansas City region, to open up your own... Um, deer hunting and goose hunting outfit operation. Yeah, it's been October is when we got discussed buying it out and started with the Ward family as a partnership. And they got to the point where the time wasn't worth it for them mm-hmm. and gave me the opportunity to purchase it. I was in a place to be able to do it and kind of grow from there with it. It's slowly, it's kind of taken a back step to everything else that I've been doing. It's, it, I wanted to grow to where it where I want it to be, but mm-hmm. it hasn't been my main focus. There's been some other areas in life that have come up that I've kind of prioritized over it, but it, like the feedback and everything that comes with it has been tremendous. Our books are constantly, we don't have very few openings this year going into it and I haven't even advertised anything. So the response we get back is very positive. Um, I try to operate different. We're about the experience. Uh, Missouri, you can only shoot three honkers and right. To me, I want to finish them as close as possible and give them the best hunt and treat them just like they're a buddy that hunts with us every single weekend. So when they leave, it ain't just about the pile. Like The smile is more important, like seeing the bond with friends and family that come in to hunt. And then you start to form that relationship with them, and you look before it. So every weekend I got a new set of group that I'm now starting to hunt with every single year. So you kind of look forward to their weekend when they come into town and right. entertaining them and showing them what it's like to hunt in Missouri. And then there's the deer hunting side. You have a rifle. You have a rifle season. Yes, we started that last year. Um, took me three years to get to the point. I wanted to hunt the farms. I wanted to figure out how the deer moved. I didn't want to put my name on it unless I knew I could deliver the goods and deliver the expectation and charge what I wanted to charge for it and make sure they had a good time. The biggest thing, I, my biggest fear is is letting people down. So to have somebody come pay me money and trust that I'm going to put them on a deer, like you're dealing with the wild. So the only thing I can control is the experience. But if I do my research and understand what's going on on these farms, I'm going to give them the best opportunity. So last year we rolled into it, had great success. They rebooked for this year. We offered just a few hunts with it. So it's nice to have the same group of guys come back and coming back this year. Cause now I got the expectation. I know what these guys are going to be like in camp. I know what kind of fun we're going to have. I know what kind of stories we've already created. Yeah got invited to go down to their place in, in March and, and hunt turkeys in Florida and total different ball game from what I'm hunting up here in the Easterns. And oh, sure. 
it was great to do start to build that kind of relationship and that's what's so fun about doing the outfitting side of it to me it's not about the money like to me it's the experiences and creating the relationships and forming bonds with people that don't get to don't know how to hunt or don't know the how to do it the way when you take it to that next level and like what the opportunities and how birds respond or the deer mm-hmm. when you put the time in and that's your main focus so it's it's rewarding to see and to get that congratulations or to like man that was the coolest thing i've ever seen like that feedback is what keeps me doing it you bet are you full for this coming deer season waterfowl we went to doing two groups on the weekend so i have a few weekends left we're still going to just run run group during the week and then on the weekends probably do run two so that's on the goose side what about on the, the goose deer side deer i have no vacancies like we you're full completely full we have wow. 10 guys coming in for five days and that's all I, I just, with the resource, I don't want to abuse my resource. I know what, it, like, the farms are capable and what we're able to harvest off of it and still sustain a good deer herd to where we're not mismanaging our source. Right. What about turkey? Is that in the future? Turkey's my baby. That's where I like to just have fun. <laughs> <laughs> After hunting season, the turkey season's kind of, like, relaxing. I also know that Nate likes to make money, too. So if the price is right, you might be able to get Nate to take you on a really awesome Missouri turkey hunt. It is, but it's just Missouri is the way that our game laws are with turkey season. It, it just makes it tough, and I, I don't like. I said I don't like to not meet people's expectations, and when I set that forth, it's hard to, I think Missouri to do it consistently. So mm-hmm. I just don't offer it. I tried it and did a few hunts to kind of test the waters, and it just to me doesn't. I, I, the money ain't worth it. Gotcha. I, I'd rather hunt, take buddies like. Q got the chance to go opening day and shoot a bird and get that monkey off his back that he hadn't done in a long time. So to me, that was, that was just as rewarding for us. It's fun just to go to produce the content, mm-hmm. have fun with it and, and not worry about clients for once. Like, yeah. It can get stressful every day to be worrying about that expectation. And like that stuff's very prideful for me. And I yeah. set the bar very high for myself and the guys around me to I mean, put every effort into it. You can, cause that's the only thing we can control. That's right. Um, <clears throat> so then the, so the deer hunting is already full. You got some open dates for goose hunting. If they were wanting to book a really awesome, because this isn't the belly busting type of outfit operation. Nate has not only been a great waterfowl hunter before he got involved with HW, but being a product of HW also, we are always about trying to get those birds to finish in our face, you know, landing gear down, back flapping in the spread. And because we have to, to get them on camera and that you treat it the same way for your clients. Yep. So um, if you wanted to, have, if anyone listening wanted to have an amazing Missouri Canada goose uh, hunting experience, how would they go about booking? Uh, reach out to my contact, either DM me or send me a message on Facebook or my cell phone number's on there too and shoot me over a text or give me a phone call. Website? Website was down right now. We're reworking it, updating all the pictures okay. and getting some content that needed to change from five years ago. It hadn't been touched. So gotcha. we're trying to revamp that. So basically just find you on social media. Social media is the easiest. Yeah. All right. And what's your handle there? Uh, Valley Oaks underscore or Valley underscore Oaks. Okay. On Instagram and then Valley Oaks outdoors on Facebook. Awesome. Awesome. Now Heartland Waterfowl. Why did you want to be a part of Heartland Waterfowl? When I grew up as a kid, like we'd go to the blockbuster or the video store and I was, it was monster bucks. Like, so I've consumed outdoor television media before even when it was on TNN on Saturday mornings. Like I didn't watch cartoons. I watched hunting and fishing shows. And so it was kind of always like a dream of mine reading North American whitetail, 
deer and deer hunting, turkey, turkey hunting, Missouri game fish. It was just always appealing to me. And then when that opportunity, when, when Huntsucker gave me a shout and said, you guys were struggling at home and needed some mm-hmm. ground to go hunt on goose hunt. Like I didn't know I was starstruck, man. Like it's kind <laughs> of like, Holy shit. Wow. Like somebody's recognizing yeah. what I do and like the passion I have for it. And then we go out that day and we skunked it. Super fan. Oh, Nate yeah. must have been a super fan. <laughs> we all were. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, you are. I mean, it, it's local. Like you can connect with it. And knew some of the similar people's. Like I'd known Nate Flynn since I was sixteen, so he's kind of introduced me to Mike, and then it kind of grew from there into where it's at now. And yeah, like that opportunity. Like now you look at it, and I'm like, I don't think anything of it. Like, oh, you guys do TV, and like you get kind of complacent with it. It's, it just becomes a norm, right? But yeah, just going with it. Like I thought that's where I wanted to go. And I thought like, Oh, I want to create content, learn how to film and kind of got to the point, like just when I started getting more involved with the show and becoming a part of the team, like I hated not being able to hunt every day. Not that I wanted to hunt or kill, but it was the fact of just the organizing, the strategy, the game planning every single day. Like Mm -hmm. I hate being disconnected because you can't, it's hard to do both when you're worried about producing content for the show or you're worried about the hunt, somebody, whatever day you're on, kind of dictates what you're thinking so i want to think about the hunt every day sure all right well hey coming up here in just a little bit we're going to talk to nate a little bit more about his involvement with heartland waterfowl we'll probably bring up some old of his some of his old heartland waterfowl stories from the days that we've been out on the road and we're also going to dive into the early days of nate meyer when he served a tour over in iraq when he was serving on the united states navy that's coming up here in moments on the Papa Ron Podcast. The Papa Ron Podcast is brought to you by the award-winning Heartland Waterfowl, airing now on Sportsman's Channel. Check heartlandwaterfowl.com for airtimes. The all-new Season 9 debuts in July on Sportsman's Channel. And don't forget about the new original series on the Heartland Waterfowl YouTube channel. Check it out and don't doubt the scout. Now back to the Papa Ron Podcast. Here's Ronnie Phillips. Don't forget to check out the home of the Papa Ron podcast at paparonradio.com. There you're going to find everything that is involved with this new venture of mine because this thing is more than just a podcast, folks. I'm telling you that right here in this very studio, there's been the voiceover production. There's been commercial production, imaging, copywriting. The website is now offering MC services and... Recently just added to paparonradio.com, radio station voice tracking. There's going to be an announcement coming up in the very near future about how the Paparon radio show is coming to a radio station near you somewhere in the state of Missouri. So check that out at paparonradio.com. Back with Nate Meyer, who is owner of uh, Valley Oaks and uh, is also involved as a team member of Heartland Waterfowl on Sportsman Channel and YouTube. So um, let's talk about maybe the first memory that comes to your mind. You've been doing this for the last seven, eight years now, traveling with us all over the country. I know you've been to New York, North Dakota. Um, you've been to Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> We've been all over. So what's, uh, if you were to think about whether it's your favorite hunt, your favorite trip, or just, the, just, a, crazy, um, just a crazy experience that happened when you were on the road with us, what is the, what's the first memory that comes to mind? The first memory that comes to my mind, it was my first trip up to North Dakota. Okay. <laughs> so that would have been season two, probably, it right? It was season two. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
I just remember talking to Logan through Messenger. Never really. I helped you guys put the trailer together. Um, right the decoy before, trailer. The decoy trailer right. together right before you guys went to Canada. Crumb had me out for that. And then uh, knowing that I was going on the North Dakota trip. And then it was just typical Logan. Vague details of like, who am I riding with? Where am I going? Trying to get that information out of him. I just remember showing up over at Logan's barn and, and getting in. Like you had left behind your truck. And we were driving up. It was me, Chaz. Matt. I forgot about that. That was the two-week trip. That was the two-week two trip. Weeks, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was guys coming back down yeah. once we got up there. And I just remember riding up with there like, what did I get myself involved in? Because you didn't know any of these Nothing. guys. You're about to go on a 12-hour ride to North Dakota and on a filmed hunt for a TV show, and you're riding with a bunch of dudes you'd never met before. No. And you know what kind of conversation is going to get brought up with Matt. Like, <laughs> just like, Matt's is going to drop some A-bombs. You're like, yeah. holy cow, dude. Yeah, Where, yeah. Like, what did I get myself involved with? But just getting up, like never being part of a production like that and getting up there and seeing like the behind the scenes of like what really, because at that time you guys were filming the intro too. That was when we were doing the helmet. Oh, that's right. So we were, you were trying third to person. Like, yeah. We were filming in third person. We were actually strapped a Canon uh, DSLR camera to a motorcycle helmet. And we were filming a bunch of stuff in third person. And um, boy, that was it seemed like a really great idea at the time, but oh my gosh, it took a really long time to film that intro because it was so hard to understand your depth perception when you were running a camera on the top of your head. Wow. All right. So that was probably the first thing that came to, to your mind as a memory. What's, uh, what would you say is your favorite uh, trip that you've been on as it comes to just quality hunts where you walked away from that going, man, that was surreal. I don't know if I have a favorite hunt. Like they all have their moments. They all mm -hmm. have something that happened during it, whether something we overcame or situation, whether it be the hunting or just the environment we're in. I, I bet I, I bet I have one for you. What's that? It's not necessarily the hunting as much as it was the experience. The first time we went to Alaska and we hunted up there with um, Bonnie and then we went on that that float plane ride that across float, the glaciers, I, the float plane trip. Like when we went up and fished for silvers and shot them ptarmigan was just seeing like, you don't realize until you get in that plane and you're flying across Alaska, how big and remote it is. When, mm -hmm. Once you get up off of that lake and you get away from civilization, like you're in the bush, you're in the bush there and you're not that you don't feel like you're that far away when you're in a plane. But mm -hmm. yeah, when we landed on there and we dealt with them bugs, with those no CMs and, and hiking those mountains and, Shooting them ptarmigan was definitely, I mean, that was the highlight of, of all the trips. But, I mean, every, like even the simplest trips have their moments. So it's hard to to cherish one that I would take over another. Do you have a favorite? I think I know the answer to this. But do you have a favorite, like, if you know that you're going to, say, Wyoming, you know we're going to hunt in a pit, we're going to be in a pit line, and we're going to be shooting Canada geese. You know, if you go to North Dakota, there's a chance that you could get a little bit of everything. You know, if you go to uh, Texas, you're going to shoot sandhill cranes and blue quail. Is there a particular species that you love to chase the most? Yeah, big hungers. Okay. Well, I mean, you do that at home. <laughs> I do. And I love my ducks. Like, don't get me wrong. Ducks get me excited. But big hungers, the way they, like, they're like a turkey, man. They don't gobble, but. When they start moaning and growing and, and getting with it coming in, like it's hard <laughs> to be. They start talking dirty yeah, to you. They do. They do. They get <laughs> nasty. And I, they just think the way they vocalize and the way they interact, I, I just like the way they work. And it's a big bird. Make a big splash. Like they just 
put some wind on them and they do some dirty things. Mm-hmm. But it's big honkers. I mean, ducks in the dry fields, I've never really had a good timber hunt, never really been exposed to that, so I can't really talk much about that. But dry field mallards are pretty special. It's just the consistency. Like, I know geese, and that's probably why that's what I like to chase. I like big spins on snow geese, too. And, here we but go. If I had to choose one, it, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That roar does get addicting. Like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't because it, it doesn't happen very often. Like I feel, to me, Matt, like shooting ducks. I don't think they're as difficult as some of the other birds. And to me, it's the the challenge behind. Like I love trying to fool them birds as close as I can. And same way I shoot turkeys. Like if I can't get them to five yards, five feet, like I, it doesn't excite me. I want I want to know that I've done everything the best I could. And that bird has no clue what's going on. What do you want to do next? Like what, what is the thing that you haven't done that you really want to do? I want to pursue getting more veterans and first time hunters in the field. Like I want to be able to start passing like what I've learned on how to hunt down to somebody else. I feel like it's just a big disconnect. Everybody talks about wanting to do it, but there's just not a lot of action taken on it. So to me, like it, it, I know what hunting is done, like a subject we're going to get into with the PTSD. Like if I didn't have hunting, like I don't know where I would be. So for me to like, if I could offer something to be able to get somebody, like push them back off that cliff or be able to give them something to just give them inspiration. And, or even with kids, like there's so much things that you learn with hunting that apply to life. Like I just, in way we're going with just social media and just mushing our brains. Like I feel like we need that connection and like the outdoors and just being outside and putting those game plans. Like there's just so many variables that you learn that apply to life that can be taken away from it. So not only teaching them something that can put food on the table, but also teaching them things that either help with their mental state or help them with the growth of their personality or their person as a self. Mm-hmm. So to me, like that's my next big step is being able to pursue, do something in that. So that's not where I was going with the question, <laughs> but that was a really good answer. That was a really good answer, but let's go with like, what is a species or a type of hunt that you've never done before that you are, you know, you would really like for me, I really want to get on a, on a good cinnamon teal hunt. I think that would be cool. I've never shot a cinnamon teal. That's a trophy bird for me. You know, a lot of people, um, they have their bird, you know, like the, uh, a, a, um, Harlequin or whatever. Like that's the golden rail for me. It's a cinnamon teal. What is cinnamon teal rather? What is something that you haven't done that you would like to experience? Mallards in the timber. Okay. Like Arkansas. Yeah. All right. All right. Any flooded timber. I mean, it's just something that, Growing up, like what I hunted, hunting public marshes in Missouri, hunting flooded corn and hunting flooded buckbrush, like on Truman Lake, that, you get pretty close to it. But like, I want to hunt in the oaks and I want to see mallards get down through. Just something I've never experienced. And even with all the places we've gone, it's just something we've never filmed. And mm-hmm. I well, we have. <laughs> I wasn't a part of it. But. You weren't there, and it was not. It was not successful, and that's why it never made the the. It never made TV. 
we were there at the wrong time. What about you, Q? You're sitting over there kind of quiet. What What is okay. something that you haven't had a chance yet to experience on a waterfowl hunting site? Or actually, or anything. I mean, I guess we don't need to keep it specific to waterfowl hunting. What is something that, I mean, you've got to experience a lot being out on the road, going to different places around the country to hunt waterfowl. What's something that you haven't yet been able to do that you'd really like to do? Yeah, so I got to experience my first cranes this year. Yeah, So that was cool. a new one for me. Um, you haven't done that yet, Nate. Right? No, it's always in January. Oh, that's right. You got yeah. your season here. Yeah, that's right. It's the season here, so it's tough. I don't know, man. Uh, I'm still a big, I like big game the, with the deer hunting, whatever, mm-hmm. whatnot like that. So I really, bucket list is an elk for sure. But um, waterfowl wise, I'm kind of with Nate. I've never, with all what we did this last year, I think mm-hmm. I think the timber hunt would be a good one. It's always been, I've always seen it, obviously, but. I want to experience it. As close as I've gotten is I went to uh, Real Foot Lake in Tennessee. Oh. That was pretty cool. So I guess I kind of have, but it was in a pit, and they came in a hole. But yeah, it's not the same. It's standing, not the same, right? Right. You know, hugging a cypress tree. I want the full experience, right? Right. 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 All right. Well, you brought up PTSD, and I want to get into that in just a bit. Before we do, though, um, let's go back to your youth and what inspired you to join the U.S. Navy. I joined the Navy, kind of got in a situation. Like when I dropped out of high school. How old were you when you joined the Navy? I was 20. Okay. So I. And you said you dropped out of high school. Yeah, I dropped okay. out at 17, tried to go back my senior year, um, tried to take remedial classes to graduate with all my buddies. And I was. They put me in some classes that I didn't belong in. Like I'm not an idiot. And they would put me in a functional math class and they would expect me, like, get done with the homework in 10 minutes and everybody else is struggling. And what am I going to do? Like Mm -hmm. I'm Nate, I goof off. Like (laughs) I'm going to cause a scene when I like, I'm distracted. (laughs) And so I got to the point and they, they would send me down the office to do my homework or like, and then I had a meeting with the counselor. And at the time my mom was a counselor for rediscover and Lisa, I'm doing mental health social work. And the counselor at school told me that, she wasn't worried about me. She was more worried about her kids that were going to go to college. And that hit me hard. Like I, that really like, why am I putting all this effort? She in? felt like you were a waste of her time, waste of her time. Like what I was doing and what I was trying to do didn't matter. And I'm like, why did she, like, if she doesn't care, like, why do I care? And I, sure. told, I told my mother that. And, and she was like, Nate, you can do whatever you want. Like it, it didn't sit well with her, even with her background. And it was, a tough situation and so i didn't and uh the hardest thing i ever did was watch all my peers and friends and like my cousins the same age as me and watching him graduate and not having a graduation party and like just going and attending all these things and and it was a blow to my self-esteem like, like self-worth like i i mean granted i had fun the office like when i everybody was at school like I duck hunted 42 days at Grand Pass. I <laughs> shot a lot of mallards. I learned a lot about hunting, and I hunted yeah. a lot of deer during that time. And, you know, like, that was what kept me sane. And so, like, right after everybody graduated, I got my GED, scored high enough, got in, went started community college with everybody else and picked right back up where everybody else was at. And, and I was still making bad choices. <laughs> so is, that's really what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, I, I – my parents, like, I made some a few wrong choices. My parents just kind of, like, were starting to shut me off. And, like, you need to grow up, man. You're 18, 19, 20. 
18, 19 years old, like you need to man up. And I was working with my dad and learn how to frame houses and in the trades and construction workers aren't the best influences sometimes, especially if you're on a framing crew, you're not dealing with bright minds and you're dealing with hard workers. They show up every day, but not the guy that you want to mold your son. And I had a buddy come back and he was talking about being in the army and being in boot camp and how cool it was. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go talk to a recruiter. And I had at that time, I'd known about the, the CBs because I wanted to be in construction. I wanted to be a home builder. Like, that was always my dream. I wanted to build houses. Like, mm-hmm. I love, like, the whole aspect of, of, again, putting together a process. And so I, I researched everything and seen what the Navy CBs offered. And I went in. I knew they had a two-year program. Two years qualified me for the full GI Bill. I could go to college, get a degree in construction management, come out and start building houses or, or go to work for somebody. And so I joined and my parents had no idea they had no idea. I went to a detailer. They had no idea. I went to maps and I came home and I slapped it on the paperwork and said, I leave in August. <laughs> Friends, nobody knew what I was up to and I done it all behind it. And it's probably the best decision that I ever made that kept me straight. Like I was starting to go down a wrong path with bad habits and I was making poor choices and that kind of shaped me up. Like, all right, now I got to straighten my stuff out where we're going to go. And still remember this day getting off a yellow school bus up in Chicago to boot camp and those RDCs just getting into my ass. Like, I about cried. Like, I was like, I want my mom back, man. Like, <laughs> send me home. I, I, what did I do? Like, yeah. I can't get out of this contract. It was the first time in my life I couldn't back out of something. Like, you know, I had to fulfill. Like, I had to fulfill what I had signed up to do, and there, yeah. and there was no going back. And I remember like writing letters to my grandma and writing letters to my dad. Like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. And that was like the first seven, eight weeks. And then you start to like the way the, the military works. I mean, they break you down. Like. They, they start you fresh and the first three weeks is nothing but a breakdown process. You're, you're nothing but a number and you feel that way. And then they, as you go through, you don't know this when you're there, like you're, you're under so many other stressors and as they slowly start to build you back up and then you get to the end where you go through your last week and you graduate and like, I mean, you walk around proud and, and I was like, I remember my grandmother said, I've never seen you walk so straight and never have we seen you walk so proud. Like, wow. That's cool. With it. So like it kind of it gave me that inspiration again. Like, oh man, I can do something. Like I'm I'm not what the statistic of a high school dropout's gonna be. Like I, there is potential. And after graduating boot camp and going through that and seeing how proud like my family and my friends were of like it was the first time I'd been like felt that sense of purpose in like all right you're doing the right thing you know like people are talking good things about you and not yeah not negative attached to it so that that gave me a lot of inspiration so then i go into what we could in the navy call a school which is where you start to learn your trade and me being in construction since as young as i was like it was the stuff they were teaching like i already knew how to do and i ended up gra- honor graduating out of it being the gr- top graduate and um they had a program at the time called turbo crow and they automatically push you to e4 but you got to sign a year extension and you have to be in battalion for four months before they will offer you the extension and then they have up to a year to give it to you and got into battalion after that like they had told me i got attached to the right people that taught me i went in i did the work became a company clerk so i got involved with all the officers and all the 
senior enlisted, went on the right track, got in front of the right people. So mm-hmm. I didn't have things to worry about. I basically kissed the right butt. And sure. It wasn't just for myself, but it was, that's what they say. Like, if you want to make yourself a name in here, this is what you got to do. And I was mm-hmm. like, all right, I'll put the work in. So I, I sat there while everybody else was off at the beach or doing whatever they want to do at 19, 20 years old. Chasing tail. Yeah, I'm I'm in the <laughs> office running their leave chits and processing every all their paperwork so they can go have fun at home or keeping attendance and making sure kids are at their classes that they need to be. Like, did that. And then, so that went on for like three or four months. And then it got the time we're getting close to our field exercise where we're getting ready to deploy to go to Iraq. And there's an in-dot class because when you hit E4, you become a petty officer. And um third class and so i was waiting for them to do my in doc class like hey like i'm ready for this pay because it's a significant pay raise from e3 to e4 you finally start to and you get more privileges you can live off base and a lot more comes with it and i'm keep on like when am i going to when am i going to go through my in doc when am i going to go through my in doc well we need you to go to this communications class so they put me through a communications class and come back and I was supposed to go to Afghanistan. I was talking to the chief that was going to take me up there. And I was like, well, when are you guys going to frock me? When are you going to put my E4 on and go through my in-doc? And they're like, oh, we're working on it. We're working on it. And he's like, but we need you to sign your, your extension. I said, uh-huh. I'm, not, I'm not signing my extension until you get me my pay. Like, yeah. you guys have waited around. I'm like, I've already lost three months of pay now. Now we're, I'm seven months in past this. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm, I'm leaning really towards, you know what, now I'm only a year out from getting out and mm. like I'm leaning hard towards college. And he looked at me straight in the eye and called me a quitter. Oh, and that stung. Like I was like, why am I a quitter? Cause I want to go to college and better myself Yeah, and get out of like now. Like I'm starting to see with the military, you guys that are shit high. Like if they don't have a family and nothing to tie them in, like they get their, their first contract and they're out. And it seemed like the guys that in, the bees were the guys that were 18, 20 years in, like had obligations that kept them in whether a, they couldn't make it in society or B like they had families that they couldn't gamble or they weren't ready to take the risk. They weren't risk takers. Um, and I was ready. Like I got my purpose out of it, got my free college. Like now I don't have anything to worry about. Get out. And he pulled me from Afghanistan. He's like, man, I ain't taking you to Afghanistan. You're going to go main body to Guam. I'm like, you're going to what? main body to Guam. The rest of the battalion was going to Guam at that time. And Guam's Guam. Like I didn't want, not want to go yeah. to Guam. So I had a first class come up to me that I had a good relationship with, and he was a big hunter. And he's like, Hey, you can come to Hawaii with me. I was like, Hawaii. I was like, I'm going to go broke. <laughs> I'm going to go to college. Once I get out, like, I don't yeah. want to go to college with a bunch of credit card debt. Like, sure. I know what the cost of living in Hawaii is like, no way. And then I had another first class come up and he's like, man, I got an opening to go on to Iraq. He's like, would you want to go? I was like, yeah, put, sign me up for it. So that's best and worst decision. I mean, there's some drawbacks to going over sure. there, but it was definitely a moment where like, yeah, I want the hazard duty pay. I want the combat pay. I want the experience. I want to be able to come back and then go, go to school. Like the heck with the signing the year extension. Like now you, now I'm down to less than a year. Like I'm not going to sign your year extension. And mm-hmm. so go to Iraq, we go to field exercise, did a month and at camp Shelby in Mississippi and end of July, August, terrible in the woods, swamp, mm-hmm. middle of the summer. I, I would take Iraq over camp Shelby in the summer. It was that bad with the humidity <laughs> and just nastiness of the sweat. But 
So we did that, and then we deployed and into September to, to Iraq. And I remember, like, we partied pretty hard the night before because yeah, it kicked us out of the barracks and had to have everything moved out. So, of course, the casino, local casino in, in Gulfport, Mississippi, they pick you up on base for free and take you to the casino because they want your money. And I just remember being there and getting pretty loaded. And we I was showing up, going on lockdown, and getting on that airplane. It was like, when you get on a commercial aircraft, well, an M16 between your legs, that's when it starts to starts to feel a little real. And then yeah. you know, we flow 29 hours, and we get there, and you, and you land in Iraq, and it was in the afternoon. And I remember just looking out the windows going, what did I just get myself into? Like, okay, what? stop right there. We're going to get into Iraq in just a second. <laughs> I want to ask one more question before we go to break. Why did you drop out of high school? I mean, you talked about the bad choices. Right. Like, but what, 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 like, let's get beneath the surface here. Was it that your parents just didn't really give, they didn't have any authority over you that maybe they just let you do whatever you wanted. And I don't know the answer to this. I'm genuinely asking, you know, did you have not have any structure? Did you just, the friends that you run around with were just a bunch of dirt bags that just, that like, kind of led you down the wrong path. I mean, what ultimately led the Nate Meyer that I know to be a guy to drop out of high school and then have to go through all of these roller coaster of events before he ended up joining the military. I like to do shit the hard way. Okay. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that do that. That's all right. Uh, and like, I just, school didn't challenge me. Like if I'm not challenged and I'm so not, you're saying you were an A student that you, you if I applied smart? myself. Yeah. Okay. All uh, right. My parents, uh, like I couldn't, I was blessed with, Great parents. I mean, did they enable some of my actions? Of course they did. Their parents. So what they, were the actions? You've talked about making bad choices. What were these choices? What were what was the shit you did that took you down the wrong path? <laughs> I made with the poor choices of I, I liked and You liked the party? I liked the party. And okay. the stimulants, like I just yeah, I was I was a social butterfly and I just, I, I thrive off of atmosphere and groups and being a part of that. But the whole, it's been so long. Like, I don't even really know what the triggers were that made me drop out. Besides, it just got to the point where I was bored with it. And I just, I didn't, you would, I would do the work and, and then it was done. I just, I don't well, it had nothing to do with the parenting. It had nothing to do with opportunity. It just, my parents were always lax with me and they let me get away with it. But I mean, that's the stuff I learned that I carry with me today. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a negative, but yeah, just making poor choices was the biggest thing and kind of not really understanding where those consequences are going to get me at the end of the day. Um, everybody tells you but I'm the kind of guy that's got to live it. Like, yeah. If I don't live it and experience it, I mean, you could tell me something all day long, but I'm still going to try it. Mm-hmm. Maybe you didn't do it the right way. Like that's always the way I always have been. Don't tell me I can't do something. So Nate Meyer grew up as the guy who just liked to have a good time. School was boring to him. He just liked to hunt a lot, be with his friends. And, um, and then, you know, just, Ended up tripping along the way with bad choices left and right to where it really kind of put you in a position that the the military was, how should I say this? The military offered you more options than life was already offering you. They offered me the structure, the structure and the discipline. Like, um, but did you go into the military seeking streak like you, like 
were you you were you were 19 20 years old you know like you was, hadn't had this structure before were you like sitting there going there's something missing in my life i need structure where can i get it oh i'll join the military absolutely not yeah like, I, I did not think that at the time i mean that's definitely a thought that like that purpose came figuring it out like when i decided it wasn't for the structure I just wanted to change. I wanted out of the environment I was in and the environment I was in at the time. Yes, it was healthy. Like I had a, a great group of friends and they're, they're still a good group of, of high school buddies that we still get to, together. But it was in my parents great at molding me. And it was the discipline side of things. Like I knew how to manipulate them. I was very good at manipulating and I knew how to get what I wanted and I needed, like, at the time, I didn't realize it, but I needed structure. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't have this structure. They kind of just let me go with it and thinking that was going to work itself out. But, yeah, like, without the structure of the military, I don't think I'd stay in where I'm at now. Gotcha. Or have the ethics that I have to drive. I understand. Well, you brought up Iraq and you brought up a lot of the things that, well, you were getting ready to get into a lot of the things <laughs> that happened when you were in Iraq. And ultimately... How the PTSD came from that. So, Nate and I have connected on a level like we've never connected before in the last few months. And we're going to dive into all that raw emotion coming up next on the Paparon Podcast. The Paparon Podcast is brought to you by Dumar Solutions. Dumar Solutions, offering affordable chemical and PPE solutions for any industry. Automotive, industrial, manufacturing, concrete, and asphalt construction. Also offering kitchen cleaners, corrosion control, and specialty coatings. Detergents, cleaners, and degreasers, laundry care, floor care, odor control, personal hygiene, and much more. Do more with Dumar. Inquire with any of your needs at DumarSolutions.com. That's D-O-M-A-R-E solutions.com. Now back to the Paparon podcast. Here's Ronnie Phillips. As mentioned earlier, don't forget to follow the Paparon podcast and all your favorite social platforms. You were on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, there you can find about upcoming guests and show topics here on the Papa Ron Podcast because I'm telling you, this is not just about mental health. This is not a, just about hunting and fishing. It's about a little bit of this, a little bit about that. But here's what I will tell you about what the Papa Ron Podcast will be. It's going to be fun and, and interactive, but it's going to be talking about real life shit. All right. That's just like, that's the best way I can put it. It's like, we're going to talk about real life stuff that, uh, that, that's maybe uncomfortable to talk about because I, frankly, I feel like that, especially in my situation, um, internalizing it is the biggest, it's the, it's the biggest thing that can, can destroy you. So we're going to get beneath the surface and that's where we're going to start now with Nate Meyer, who's our guest. He's also a part of Heartland Waterfowl. He's the owner of Valley Oaks, uh, the outfitting operation. We'll put you on some incredible Missouri goose hunts, also some firearm deer hunts if the spots are available. So you joined the U.S. Navy. You've gone through boot camp. You've got some structure now. You're, you're kind of working your way up to the ranks and you're finding your, you're kind of finding your groove. You're finding your value and you're trying to figure out how now you can continue to advance as you're being challenged to renew your contract. And now you have the chance to go to Iraq. You can get that extra combat pay and all of the things that you mentioned earlier. Um, did you really know what you were getting yourself into? Because 
I would think that in the time that you had already served, you had come across some people who had already done tours in Iraq and you'd probably heard some stories. Um, so were you, were you, were you prepared to be in Iraq? I mean, prior to 04, like the invasion into Iraq wasn't the combat and like, uh, the insurgency wasn't where it was getting ready to go. Uh, so like when you, like when I had talked to guys that were on the initial push going in for my battalion that had been there before me, like they said it was a cakewalk. Like, oh, this is, it's gravy. Like you just got to be away from home and in you know, without some liberties and some comforts that you're, you're used to at home. I was like, all right, like I can do this. Like no different than being on a long hunting trip, I guess. Like, um, so you didn't know. No, no, I had no idea what I was getting into. Okay, so you were getting ready to talk about it, and then I cut you off. You landed in where, Kuwait. Did you la- Kuwait, okay. Holly yeah. Al-Salim in Kuwait. Um, we had a CB base that was just off from an Air Force base there, Camp Morrell. And we mobilized out of there. Uh, we flew into Baghdad, and then we flew into Balad. And from Balad, I started in Taji. Did you know what your mission was going to be once you got there? No. no so we're, you, we're low man on the totem pole. Like we're just delegated at that point. You're just beyond. Uh, you're as a need to no basis at that point. So what happens first? I mean, just giving me the meat and potatoes. You get there. You fly in. Um, you're Now you're at your camp where you're supposed to be. What happens? We started just, we were Taji. We were supposed to set up a, a spec ops base uh, that could operate. A what? Spec ops. Like, we were an outpost. on Taji was a 50-square-mile camp. It was uh, where Saddam kept his tanks battalions out of, operated out of. Um, so we were there to, it was a pretty good-sized camp, and we were, like, right on the edge of the Sunni Triangle, and the Flugiv Offensive was going on. And so we were there to set up an outpost for them and we were remodeling some buildings and pouring concrete for a helicopter pad. And we did that for about two months and then it was just kind of transition. That side of it, like I have a hard time talking about there. Like to me, it was more like what triggered, what triggered like my downfall after getting out was, once I got out of the service was the purpose. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so much like the trauma or being over there and seeing what I saw or doing what I did or being away from my family. I mean, yeah, that was part of the process. But once I got out and hit the civilian world, because when I got back, I only had four months in. Um, my senior chief at the time for the battalion was going to op senior chief at the regiment. He seen me shoot. He put me on as a range coach at Wool Market, which is, was the shooting range where everybody in battalion had to go to qualify before they could go to battalion. You had to qualify on all your weapons before you could hit battalion. So he's like, Hey, perfect fit. Like you got four months left. Like this is a gravy train for you. Just Mm -hmm. show up and go. And so I did that detached from my regiment or from the battalion, joined the regiment on temporary duty status and then get out. And once I got out, like I was angry when I came back and I didn't, didn't know why I was angry. Like we got into fisticuffs at the bars at night whenever we'd go out and somebody was always stirring something up. I was quick tempered. 
And this was the minute you got back or is this, or did it, did it take a little bit of time for the uncertainty of knowing who you were, what your identity was no, after I mean, being it, a civilian? The first night, the first night back, I got into it with my brother. Like we were, I don't even remember what it was about. I remember kind of what bar we were at. Cause it was, I remember we were eating dinner, the restaurant owner brought over and found out I just came back from Iraq, bought us all tequila shots and started getting preloaded. And then, like, I remember getting into it with my brother that night. And then we went down. We spent one night in Gulfport. Then we went down to New Orleans for a couple of days. And I remember getting into an altercation on Bourbon Street. Like, yeah, like, when I came back, I loved the fight. Like, I was angry. I don't know what I was angry about. Like, at that time, you're so young. I was 22, mm-hmm. 23. I just had a chip on my shoulder. Like, I felt I was above the law. And that's when... That's when I really started to spiral and digress, even though I was at the top of my game, like inside I wasn't like I was got out, like I was getting out. And then once I hit college, like trying to figure out everybody was proud of you whenever you were in the service and you, you kind of like lose that. Everybody looks at you different when you got back out, like, well, like a quitter. Mm. So I kind of like took away that same stigmatism of what I felt when I dropped out of high school. It kind of felt like, since I didn't continue my military career mm-hmm. that I was a dropout of the military, like it, this started to stick with me and I just felt like I wasn't good enough anymore. Like people looked at me different and then and I had a bad drinking problem. I partied all the time. I guess the only way I could cope with it. I didn't know how to handle those stressors. I didn't know what was triggering me to feel the way I was feeling. And that went on for a long, long time. I yeah. mean, 10, 12 years and like, like, I got I got into trouble with drinking and driving, and that finally, like the last time I got popped, like it sung home. Like next time I'm going to prison. Like next time there is no getting out of it. Like now you you, you got to be smart about it. And that was really like it was a wake up call. I had issues, but I always just learned to compartmentalize them. I kind of learned to just go about, put a smile on my face carry on about my day and just keep that stuff inside and like yeah. handle it when I got home alone. And I did have a long time and it was miserable. Like everybody else thought I was happy. Everybody else thought everything's great on the outside. It looks good, but inside mm-hmm. you're just dealing with pain and like, you don't know how to express it. Like as society, the way we teach men, like especially coming from like a warrior status of being a military, I mean, you're supposed to be tough. Like they don't teach you how to, handle those emotions like i mean everybody gives women shit for being emotional we're just as emotional as women we just don't know how to express it we just keep it in because it's looked at differently that if i tell you well i'm sensitive so Mm -hmm. you can't say things around me no it's not that i'm sensitive man like shit hits different and at times it's like i struggled with that i didn't know how to express myself i didn't know how to just tell people i'm like i'm struggling Mm -hmm. how do i reach out for help and you kind of do when you hit episodes, like you'll hit really bad stretches where you think you, like you reach out to somebody and, and you talk to them about it and you'll feel good for a few weeks. And then you're right back into that hole. And I went on for that for a long time. And finally, I mean, it hasn't been HW. When I started getting involved with HW really started to give me a little clearer path because I I got that small 
unit feeling back that I got in the military. Mm-hmm. The strategy behind putting the hunts together. The strategy behind how brotherhood. The brotherhood, like the camaraderie. Yeah. I mean, the long, the road trips. I mean, how many hours have me and you spent in the truck together? <laughs> Lots. Like, yeah. How many in-depth conversations have you and I had? Like, I've spent a lot. Yeah. I've spent more time in the truck with you than I have anybody else on the team. Yep. And like those two, three o'clock in the morning, like keep you awake conversations. Like yeah. we've had some pretty end up conversations and sure. we've had some very rough patches. I mean, we've had to have mm-hmm. a couple sit downs through like, Hey, well, we weren't going <laughs> to have sit downs. We were going to have knockout drag out <laughs> fights. So there was, it was, it was necessary to have those sit downs, but yeah, I know what you mean. But I actually like looking back, I took a lot back away from that because it taught me how to communicate effectively. Mm. That taught me that, you know what? I can have a conversation with you, speak what I want to speak and do it in a way that I don't have to worry about offending you because you might understand what I'm saying. And then mm-hmm. I can rebuttal back with what you're saying. Like, why are you acting the way you're doing it? Mm-hmm. What, what's your thought process behind yeah. it? So that kind of woke me up on a lot of it. I remember one time at that taco joint yeah. <laughs> after we came back from Manhattan, like we were, I was, I was ready to be done with it all. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for that conversation and feeling the sensation, like heartfelt that I felt from you, like I was yeah. ready to be done with it. Yeah. But see, and internalizing that would have ultimately led to a bad choice. Yeah. And and we've seen it happen with others. Like Mm -hmm. internalizing things is not good. And that's where as men, we have got to get better at, you know what? It's okay to talk about it. Like Mm -hmm. it's okay. Like I don't really care what you think of me if I'm going to talk about my emotions. And it took me a long time to get to that point. And over the last two years, it's been like a main focus of, of where I'm putting my energy in my life is like understanding myself and, Understanding that, you know, it's, it's okay to speak about what you're uncomfortable to speak about. Because if you don't and you compartmentalize it, all it does is it's like cancer, man. It just spreads. And yep. it starts to spread into mental health. It starts to spread into your mindset and, like, your gratitude and your humility. Like, what you feel, like, it affects you. It, it is dangerous. And you have to be able to learn how to find the right tools. I mean, there's so many tools out there and so many ways to figure out how to handle those stressors and the depression, the trauma, the PTS, whatever it is, even if it's just daily life, we all struggle with things that we need to be better communicating on emotion. Mm -hmm. But why don't we? (laughs) What took you so long to be able to have that conversation with us that January morning? Mm Mm-hmm. A breaking point. Yeah. We shouldn't have to hit a breaking point. We should be able to be comfortable enough with our own skin, comfortable enough with the people that we love and that are surrounded by us, that they believe in us enough that if I tell them something, I shouldn't have to be worried about what they're going to think about me. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hid. I hid from it for a long time. Just put a smile on, do the best at what I know I'm good at, and hide what I suck at. Yep. And what I sucked at was expressing what internally I felt. Yeah, no, I understand that. I want to go back though a little bit because I I have to. So you're telling me then how you that in the entire time that you were in Iraq and all the shit that you saw that there was nothing significant there, there was no substance there that gave that would that contributed to your PTSD? No, because that trauma was expected. You know you're getting into shit when you go to Iraq. But I just asked you earlier, what did you were, you know, had you talked to anybody knowing what you were going to get into and you didn't really know what you were getting into? So what, what surprised you? Let me ask that. Let me rephrase the question. You didn't know what you were getting into. You knew you were going to war and people were going to die, right? So, I mean, that's kind of the given. But what was the first thing while you were there that made you go, whoa, 
Now, I wasn't expecting that, or I wasn't expecting to react to that. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't ready for it. Was there anything you weren't ready for emotionally? Emotionally, yeah. It's 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 losing everything that you take for granted living in the United States. Mm-hmm. Whether it's having internet, whether it's being able to see your loved ones every day, whether it's just being able to communicate with people that in, in your group, like that was the biggest thing. Like knowing you're going to war, you know you're going to war. Like you're prepared for that. You you know when you're getting ready to leave. It's not like oh you get a phone call the next day and you're leaving for Iraq. Like I was able to prepare myself knowing I was. No, they're training you for that. Yeah. Ultimately, that side of it didn't bother me. Like what like what sucks when you're over there is again losing the things that you take for granted here, and like the only way I guess you could relate it would be like getting in trouble and going to jail. I don't know like when you lose those things that take for granted every single day. Like, Oh, I want to go to McDonald's. Like mm-hmm. you just can't just go to McDonald's when you lost some freedoms. Like, when you lose the freedoms that we're fighting for. Yeah. And the freedoms that we take for granted every single day. And like, that was like, that was the hardest thing to deal with over there. Not having, not being able to kiss your loved ones or not being able to see your parents when you're in the shit and like having a bad day and like get that comfort. Mm-hmm. A, your 14 hour difference on time zone. So like mm-hmm. you're trying to call them and, dealing with a three second lag when you're coughing to them. That's a hard conversation that to have until they get used to it. Like, yeah, it was like, it was losing the freedoms. Like that was a hard thing to understand when you're over there. That was the hardest thing for me. Like the combat, seeing the shit or doing or the mortars and everything else going on. Like that was just part of it. Like you become complacent to it. You be, you hear the sirens go off and you're just like, yeah, whatever. Hmm. Um, or hear the gunshots. And it's, it's just, it becomes a job. I mean, it's no mm-hmm. different than like what I was seeing with being on HW, like, Oh yeah, you do a TV show. Yeah. I've been doing it for a long time. Like, yeah. Kind of just get used to it. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. And I think that's how those people live in those societies is like, that becomes the norm. Like you're a product of your environment. And like, if those are the things that you're exposed to every single day, like it just becomes the point where it's acceptable. You just eventually just accept it. Were you diagnosed with PTSD? Through the VA, yes. Yeah. Okay. Do you think you have PTSD? Yeah, I mean, I, I suffer from suffer from severe depression. And so, pe- so people, like, they generally know the overall term of what PTSD is. What What is your definition of PTSD as it relates to you? For me, it's handling the unexpected trauma that you've handled in life. Um, it's things that you weren't prepared to handle. And for me, it was like the sense of purpose, like the sense of disconnect and like respect when I got out. Like I had like not being able to love myself with is what mm. the trauma I suffer from, like dropping out of high school, preluded into like joining the service and then coming in, coming out of that, like you lose that satisfaction, like people respecting you. Like, and that's what I feed off. Like, and now I'm starting to come to the terms where like, I don't need people's feedback to be happy in myself. Like mm-hmm. I need to be happy with myself. Everybody else will be happy with me after that. I just quit worrying. I was always worried about pleasing everybody else and doing everything for everybody else. And I was never worried about what Nate Meyer wanted. Yeah. I, I, I was doing what was socially the norm at the time and trying to fulfill obligations that people expected of me. It's not what I wanted. Like I was just doing it cause I thought that's what I thought people wanted mm-hmm. and it wasn't healthy. And like the the biggest thing was self-worth, like getting out and not having the respect. Like you walk proud. Like when you, like when I came back from Iraq, like 
you couldn't take that pride from me because I know what I had done. Mm-hmm. But once you like get thrown back into civilian world and nobody knows who you are, like that pride's gone. Like, what do you got to be prideful about? You know what you did, but you don't know. They don't know. Like, so it's hard to, in, as a veteran, like most guys don't talk about it. Like, I'm not going to tell you like, Oh, I'm a veteran. Like, no man. Like I'm, yeah. I'm not going to ask for a veteran discount. Yeah, like, they're more humble. They're humble yeah. about yeah. where, where they came from. I know what I've done. Like, I know what needs to like the changes that need to happen, but it took a long time to figure out like that path that I wanted to go on. And it wasn't until the last year has been like having my daughter and starting to like rethink like what I think of life and like where I need to go and starting to form that bond with her and like seeing her and like, man, like that's a fresh canvas. Like all these lessons in life faults that I've had and mistakes I've made, like I have a chance to like, pass that on to her and like mm-hmm. inspire her to, to do what and grow up to be somebody that impacts people's lives. Like, Cause that's to me is the most important thing. Like I love seeing the impact I can leave on somebody else. Like I don't care about the wealth. I don't care about the fame. Like I want to see change. Like there's change. Like we're, our moral fabric is being eroded every single day and we don't, we're just not paying attention. We're so consumed by so many other things because they're distracting us. And at the end of the day, like we're not focused on like what our core American values are. And that scares the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. It makes all the time. Like it doesn't matter how many wars we fight. Like if we don't wake up as a society and start looking around and get off of social media and scrolling and like start paying attention to our surroundings, like we're going to lose it or we're going to lose what we truly believe in as a country and we're just going to fight back and forth and that sucks. So we're going to take a quick break here in just a second, but would you say that it's you're how old? How old are you now? 39, 39. And you got back or you got back. Let's see. You were in Iraq. You went into the Navy around 1920. 1920? No, 19 or 20 years of age. Oh, 19. Okay. 1920. Yes. 1920, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not as old as you, Ronnie. Like, <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know. Um, so, what I'm basically getting to is you've been internalizing a lot of this stuff for many years, and it hasn't been until just recently that you've really started working on it, right? Correct. Yeah. All right, we're gonna, that's what we're going to get into next, all right? So, <clears throat> Nate was a big reason of why, along with Dakota and Q, that I started this podcast because it was that morning that I was hunting with them and I was all torn up inside and I was faking it until I could make it. And I just realized I needed to open up and share what was going on. It wasn't long after that, that Nate and I really started talking on a more emotional raw level. And we're going to get into that and how that's really affected both of our lives and our friendship. It's coming up next on the Papa Ron podcast. You're listening to the Papa Ron podcast. Keep up to date on new podcasts, new discussion topics, and future casts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Search Papa Ron podcast and be sure to like and leave a comment. Now back to the show. Here again is your host, Ronnie Phillips. All right, next week on the show, I'm going to have an old friend also on the show who has also been going through some things that is similar to what I have gone through over the last several months. His name is Joe Papura. Can you believe that? Joe Papura from Midwest Land Group, our boy Joey, is going to join me on the show. Um, the guy has uh, got a story that I feel like is very similar to mine, but it's, it's, it, but it's, it, but it's his story. And... Um, 
he is actually in the process of starting his podcast, and he was in the process of doing that before he even knew I had a podcast. So it'll be real interesting to hear what he has to say. We're back with Nate Meyer, and of course, my boy Q from Marathon Media Management is in studio with me as well. He's the most the, the most well-behaved co-host of any podcast you're ever going to find. He just sits there and he just listens. And if and you ever want to interrupt and ask questions, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I didn't tell you to sit there to be quiet. Hey, right? you, I, you know me. I, I only, know. only be, only speak when, when spoken, when spoken upon. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you, if you got a question for Nate, go for it. All right. Because we're all friends here and we're all just trying to get to the root of what Nate's been going through and be a friend for him and, and get a message out there that, look, this is, this is dangerous for people, especially men who are internalizing emotion. So um, Nate and I, like we just spoke about earlier, we've had kind of a roller coaster love-hate relationship, if you will, over the last seven years. Always been friends and always enjoyed each other's company. We always ride in my truck together, so we've always had some really good conversations. But we're also type A personalities who are stubborn and, ty- hmm. you know, and when hmm. you're on a lack of sleep, you know, there's times where you can butt heads. Just a bit. Just a bit. <laughs> so th- we've, we've definitely had our, our, uh, our rough patches in this time that we've been friends and, and connected to Heartland Waterfowl. But I will say this, it was on that j- January morning, late January morning. Cause it was, I think right after I got back from shot show, because I had had the panic attack, right? Yeah. It was last week of January. Yeah, and we were hunting out by Lone Jack, and I talk about this in the first episode of the Papa Ron podcast, but um, I I finally, after being diagnosed with depression, I we was just Q and Dakota and Nate and I, and we were sitting out there um, next to a, a farm pond in the middle of nowhere, and it was rainy, we're waiting for the birds to fly, and I just felt it weighing on my heart that I had to open up, and I needed to share what was going on. And I will tell you, Nate, I don't know if I've told you this, but I'll tell you this now. I felt pretty comfortable talking to Q and I felt pretty comfortable telling Dakota. And it's not that I wasn't comfortable telling you, but I was probably more worried about the judgment from you <laughs> than I was anybody else. Imagine that. <laughs> because for a couple different reasons. One, you're a big smart ass. Let's start with that, right? Like you like to dish a lot of shit. You like to know what people's hot buttons are and you like to push them to the limit to where you're going to get them to react. But I know that you mean that in good nature and all in good fun. Um, and I knew that you were this military guy who had seen all of this stuff and, and, and experienced all this stuff. And so part of the problem that I was experiencing is why would I tell Nate Meyer, who served on the United States Navy, served a tour in Iraq, has seen more and been through more worse crap than I will ever, ever, ever imagine in my life. How is he going to understand where it is that I'm coming from? You know? Right. But we we're all there. And, and I got to the point where I didn't care. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. So I put it all out there. Mm-hmm. And I'll be damned if Nate Meyer, not that you guys weren't, because you all are equally as involved in, in compassionate and, and have empathy, but... Nate exceeded my expectations for the level of concern and compassion and love and empathy that I, that I had for him. Um, and it was from there on that Nate and I were talking regularly. Mm -hmm. We were texting more regularly and it wasn't like, Hey, what's up? You know, you know, or it was, it wasn't to give each other shit, I guess is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) It was more to like, it was genuinely to say, hey, man, I'm worried about you. I'm checking on you. If you need anything, you let me know. Right. And I remember being on the phone with you and you telling me after you get off the phone, I was like, hey, bro, I love you. And if you need anything, let me know. And I was like, man, those are words and those are feelings and emotions I've never heard 
from Nate Meyer. <laughs> and as we get going on in this process a little bit, and I'm telling about my, you know, my struggles, I'm getting to know a little bit more about Nate. I'm getting to know about Nate's struggles. And the thing that I learned about Nate was that he did have this PTSD. He did really struggle. We, we had the, the thing in common where we internalized and we struggled with knowing how to communicate it. Um, and, and finally we both had someone to where that we could, you know, we had each other that we could talk about this. And then from there, it led to going to a PTSD retreat. Mm-hmm. From there, it was going to therapy. Um, it was doing the little things and finding the tools that you needed to, to use or, or to, to pull from your toolbox when you had those triggers. So let's go back to that January morning. And I'm not trying to say that I'm the inspiration for the reason why you are where you're at now with trying to be open about this. But it just seems very, it seems like it was coincidental that that it was all kind of happening about the same time. So what was it that really kind of pushed you to say, I'm done with this. I can't live like this anymore. I need help. What, what pushed you to the next, to take that, to make that next move? I mean, I had, I had tried to get help. Well, uh, Stephanie, I had, had done couples counseling and so let's back up there. Stephanie is baby mama. Yes. 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 She's a, she is a mom to my beautiful daughter. Um, and we had, we had been going through some counseling and the gentleman, Chris Kuhn, that it was our counselor was a Navy medic on a Marine unit in Afghanistan. So he had been through some PTSD stuff and kind of like backstory to go back to like how you felt disconnected to talk to me because I was a veteran. Like I feel the same way talking about my PTSD and why I hid it for so long was like, I didn't see the, the shit that some other people seen in the service. So I felt like, why am I feeling this way when these people went through all ah. these adversities and overcame so much worse than what I did? So I felt like I'm just a bitch. Like, yeah. I, I fucking like, yeah, I, I y'all can... did way worse than I did. And I'm over here. Like, don't know how to deal with my emotions. How are you doing it? But yep. it just kind of comes to a point where like, we're all built differently internally and we're all built on different emotional capabilities and some people can handle it some people can't but going to that therapy and like we it was it, was it kind of started to open my eye up but i wasn't ready like i hadn't come to terms that i truly had a problem i blame my shit on everybody else mm-hmm. like i was like it's not me like mm-hmm. can't be me and mm-hmm. deep down i knew it was me but i wasn't ready to own it and once you owned it gave me the inspiration you're like you know what i did yeah wow like like once you said something about it it triggered something inside of me and that was like you know is this guy's man enough to talk about it in front of everybody like why can't i like i got a reason to talk about it like why am i hiding this stuff like why am i not ready to be like to me like at that point my daughter was almost a year old and i've talked to you before about it like Mm -hmm. i didn't feel an emotional bond with my daughter until almost that time, almost a year, year and a month that like everybody's talking about this, get separation anxiety, you miss them. I'm like, mm-hmm. man, I'm not, I must be just cold hearted. Like I'm not feeling this stuff. Like everybody is like, is there something wrong with me? Like, am I emotionally <laughs> screwed up? Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I've never been a dad, like a dad before. I mean, sure. I helped raise Aiden for the last four years, which was is Stephanie's son. That's not mine. And, I tried to figure that out, but I started with him at six. It wasn't zero. 
and it started from day one, and I didn't know how to handle this stuff. I didn't know how to. So do you attribute the internalizing of all the different crap and emotions that you had been holding in for all of those years as, the, as being the source of having the inability to have a connection with your daughter? No, I, I, what I source my, myself not to be able to talk about it is being afraid to talk about it, being afraid to not like, like everybody says, like I'm a smart ass. I'm strong. Like mm-hmm. you, there's not much like you can give me shit and you're not going to phase me. Mm-hmm. But unless you kick his ass in bags, you know, I've done that before. <laughs> that pisses it, him off. I've done that to both of you. <laughs> it doesn't mean I don't get pissed off, but I, I don't <laughs> let, like a lot, I don't let emotional situations typically dictate my actions. Okay. Like, but what, what was preventing you from having the bond with your daughter? Feeling raw emotion from her. Like at the, like when they're that young, they don't, they don't really. Oh, okay. Like, uh, you're talking about earlier. You said at one year yeah, and I was yeah. thinking, well, even at a year, it still is like, mm-hmm. that's when it really started to kick in. Like that's gotcha. when I started to like look at her different, like start to miss her and like mm-hmm. start to have those feelings towards her that now like, man, I, I want to see her every day. Like, yeah. And, um, she starts to get gain that cognition and like being able to like show emotion. Like that's where it really got to me. And then at the same time point, like you're having this conversation you bring up at the end of January. And like, I was at a low point, like some stuff happened in December, uh, kind of was a blow to my ego kind of like set me back. Like I thought I was like the last year, like I was exceeding in everything, but I, I was doing too much. And I was like, I was doing a lot, but focused on a little, mm. like trying to appease so many people. And, but what I was doing was like degrading my own health. Like mm. I mentally, like I, I was exhausted. I was taking it out on my family. Um, and bless Stephanie's heart. Like I, I, I would get home and I would just shut down. Mm. I'd get on my phone. I would distract myself. I wouldn't engage in spending quality time. Like I just hated life. And it was the fact that like, doing too much like no i get it you get done with your day and the last thing you want to do you don't have the capacity for anything else after that the minute you get home you don't want to hear about well uh our daughter did this and she had a blowout diaper and oh she here's the blowout diaper i need you to change it and aiden did this and oh don't forget we've got a family dinner tomorrow night and it says la 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 nah, 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 nah. and you're just like my head's going to explode i don't have the capacity for this yeah i get it i totally get it man but then she doesn't understand what you're no. going through because you're you're not talking about it. And so you just look like a big total prick to her. Yep. Yeah. You look like you don't care. You look like you don't like you're just disengaged from it. And it, like, I didn't realize what I was doing. Like to me, like it was just like, I couldn't take anymore. And I, I, I lost the disc and like, like the connection with her to feel like, what's she going to think of me? If I really tell her what I'm dealing with and struggling with inside, am I going to be like, when you're the man of the house, like you're supposed to be, strong you're supposed to carry the load and like they're supposed to be the one like with the emotions and you just kind of just absorb it and just keep rolling with it and keep pushing and i mean we all need to be able to be comfortable to talk about and it wasn't until i really started to lose all that and lose like and seeing the disconnect and like understanding it and like listening to your story and like at this point i'm like really starting to deep or dive deep into like trying to find myself love again, like yeah. trying to fall back in love with myself and trying to like, what am I comfortable with doing? Like, like I know what I'm capable of doing, but if I'm operating at that level, like how do I operate at that same level, 
but love myself and not sacrifice emotionally the way I'm sacrificing now. Like, how do I handle this load altogether and keep pushing forward? And and you listen to these podcasts, you read these books and you try to like divulge as much information as you can, but until you're ready, Mm -hmm. we ain't going to get anywhere. And that's like when, when you admit it to me, like you gave me the inspiration that, if the hard-headed Ronnie, the guy that's always <laughs> on top of the shit, yeah. the guy that's always can, like, I mean, like, I've looked up to you and Logan. Like, you guys, like, I mean, I've come a long ways, like, even just being with you guys in the last eight years. I'm not the same Nate Meyer I was eight years ago. No, I've told you that. You're I a know. product of your environment. And you there's are. There's so many, and I, I don't want to take credit for it, but I just, I think that there's some truth to, if you surround yourself with people who are driven who have goals and they're committed and they've got a, you know, something that they want to accomplish and they have the ability to accomplish it. And you get to be in their, that circle and see how it's done. Then you're going to be a product of that environment. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say that you were, uh, you know, a failure or a jerk off or anything like that, but you were, you were lost mm-hmm. when you first came into Heartland waterfowl, you were a little bit lost. You, you knew, like you said, you knew what you were capable of. You were good with the construction side of things. You had the you had the ability to do sales, but you probably just hadn't really put yourself in a position to do it yet. And you got surrounded by a bunch of guys who you know worked on different had that were parts of different walks of life. You know, mm-hmm. doing different entrepreneurial type things, and I'm sure that opened up your eyes to some of that we'll and to see where exactly and where you are today versus where you were seven years ago. Despite all of the stuff that we're talking about on this podcast, is a huge difference. And the fact that, you know, you, you're, you're even taking that environment and, and recognizing, I, mean, I feel uncomfortable saying it because I don't want to take any credit for it, but, you know, you felt something there by me being who I was and what I had done prior in my life to be vulnerable, to talk about where I was at, to give you the inspiration, the level of comfort or whatever, the strength to be able to open up about your story. And I'm, I'm glad that, that I was able to do that. And you know what's going to be really cool about this, because I've lived it, is that this is the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, it is. It is. And you, you, whether somebody you know that you're going to share this podcast with is going to hear this podcast and they're not going to know anything about this part of Nate Meyer. And they're about to find out. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to go, oh, shit, I did not know this about you, Nate. Yeah. Holy cow. And they're going to have a connection now with you, like you and I had a connection after I opened up. And, and, and frankly, like many other people who have listened to this podcast since I've shared my story, um, it's medicine, bro. I'm telling you it's medicine and 100%. I'm proud of you that 100%. you get, that you've, that you've opened up about it. Um, I do want to dive into the PTSD, uh, retreat that you did though. You got invited to do that through someone in the hunting industry and, and it was kind of a crazy emotional ride for you. It was. So it all started, um, Jen Ward had reached out to me and said, Hey, like, uh, they are contributors, um, to a, an organization called a battle within. I, I didn't know a battle much. within battle within is the organization. And she's like, Hey, would you be interested in co-hosting a hunt with Alex Gordon and Rex Sudler? And I was like, yeah, sure. Who's, who's going to, who's going to turn that for out? those who are not baseball educated, Alex Gordon used to play as a golden glove, gold glove left fielder for the Kansas city or retired uh, left fielder for the Kansas city Royals. Rex Hudler is the broadcast color announcer for the Kansas city Royals. Continue Nate. <laughs> How's that? nice? <laughs> crunch, crunch, crunch. Right. It's, it's good. That means Sound I need effects. another whiskey. Um, 
So you got to go hunting with Alex yeah, Gordon so, and Rex well, Hunter. It, Alex ended up not making it. He had oh. obligations, but and we ended up having Scott Barlow. But as we're going through the process and, then, and getting closer to the hunt, I was dealing with a gentleman named Mitch, which I still have never met. I, I just know his name's Mitch, but that's who I, my connection was to get Rex to show up on, on the hunt that the auction winners had won. And after the hunt, um, I'd reached out to him. I said, hey, like, you know, like I'm seeing what kind of opportunity there, that there is to – utilize like what I'm doing in the outdoor space. I know what the outdoors has meant to me. Like he had no idea I was a veteran even going into this. Cause I don't talk much about being a veteran. Cause I don't want people to like hold me that class. I'm, I'm just Nate. Like regardless of me being a veteran, like I don't want you to look at me and like put me on a different pedestal because of my service. I did my service for me and my country, not, not to get clout from other people. Um, so I, I don't talk much about it. And so I, I, I say, Hey, like, is there, I know what hunting has done for me and I, I know what the outdoors has used to help me keep a straight and narrow and, and not go down some, and make some poor choices and kept me grounded. And he's like, yeah, he's like, he, so he puts me in contact with this guy named Josh Krasovic. He sends me over a test with the guy's name. And I'm like, man, I only know one Josh Krasovic. Mm. So he puts me in a group text with him and makes the introduction and I instantly reach out to Josh separately and it's like, Hey, I'm pretty sure you're the same guy that took me to high school. You were a senior and I was a freshman when I grew up at Tapalingo. Like you took me to school every single day of my freshman year. Oh wow. And he texted me back, he's like, Holy cow, he's like, Man, I haven't talked to you in twenty years. Yeah. And like to hear his story and then talking my story with him, he's like I really think you need to go through the program. And I'm thinking, I don't need to go through no program. And then, you know, at that point it was like, it was probably in the middle of February. So it was a little shortly after we've had a couple conversations after you had brought up what you were dealing with, you know, and I was like, maybe it is time I own my shit. Maybe mm-hmm. it is time I take some ownership and try to figure out like, how can I become the best version of myself that I can? And so I signed up for the next class. It was the first week of April, and, man, I was scared shitless. Like, yeah. I, I get there, and they told us to be there at, like, 9 o'clock on the dot. So, of course, I'm there at 845. <laughs> they show up late, and I'm like, they had some miscommunication on the, the email that was sent out. So I was like, well, what am I into? These people are late. Nobody's here. Like, and we get into that class and like, and starting to hear other people's stories and starting to hear, like, I mean, these are some guys that have – been through all sorts of like different types of trauma and like hearing their stories and like understanding like, man, we all have these same problems at home. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to relate to our, our significant others, or we don't know how to relate to the people that are important to us. Like we're afraid to even talk to our own friends about like truly like, you know, I know when you're pissed off, but I don't know when you're like really struggling mentally, emotionally. And why are we so disconnected like that? Why, why is it such a stigmatism that we can't talk about what is bothering us without being sensitive? I mean, we all know that one sensitive guy, like everybody always gives them stuff, but why can't we just accept the fact that, you know what? Like there's times we need to talk about the shit and you need to be able to have that support group. And so I went through that five days and it was hard as shit. Like, listen to other people's stories. You start to feel the guilt. Like, well, my story is not as good as his story. Like, you know, you start to think those things. Start like, doing comparisons. Comparisons. And you start to feel like, why am I struggling? Like, he's got it way worse than I am. Why am I being such a little bitch and not mm-hmm. understanding? Like, the, he's dealing with more than him. And he seems like he's doing all right. Like, what? Like, 
you got to quit worrying about that. Yeah. Like, what you got to worry about is like, man, if it's bothering you, talk about it. No matter like what the outcome is going to be, what somebody else's judgment of you is, because I guarantee you, as soon as you talk about it, you're going to feel instantly 100% better. Yeah. And you know what? If that person doesn't relate to you or doesn't have anything or, or they're going to judge you, it's time to kick them to the curb. Yeah. They need you out of your circle. 100%. They, they ain't worth it. And if they can't like bond with you or, or give you guidance, like, or, or be able to, I don't know, you a little bit and like, yeah. On when you're feeling that way, like, yeah, it's time to reevaluate who you're hanging out with. So that process was, it was tough, um, but it was probably the most life-changing thing I've done since I went to the service. One of the things that I experienced when I was going through my battle was <clears throat> the people, some of the people that were giving me the support and the empathy and the encouragement were the, some of the people that I never would have expected I was going to get it from, like you, for example. Mm. And some of the people that I thought that I would get it from, I wasn't getting it from, which was weird for me. That was a weird, like, not, and I'm not saying that there was a lot of people like that, but it quickly opened my eyes to being like, sometimes the people who you think are your friends aren't your friends. And it kind of gave me a reason to kind of step back and reevaluate. Well, then how do you know who your friends are? You talk about real life shit. Yep. You talk about real shit, not the surface shit. Like how many ducks did you shoot? How big was the deer you shot? How many girls were you with, you know, since you turned 16? You know, all of that stuff that doesn't matter. Like talking about real life, deep beneath the surface, in the heart stuff. That's where you figure out who your real friends are. And that's where I started re kind of evaluating my life a little bit going, you know what? Some of these people that I kind of considered my friends who act like, they don't give two shits about what I'm doing or maybe even a little bit ashamed about the fact. I, and I don't know this. This is pure speculation on my part. But maybe ashamed like, oh, my God, Ronnie's gone mental. He's doing a podcast and he's talking about all of his deep, dark secrets, whatever. Like, yeah. Yeah, because apparently I couldn't tell you about it. Right. Right. right? So right. Um, anyway, I only say that to say that, you know, one, you don't know who sometimes you don't know who your friends are, but you will find out. You will find out when you open up, and you have to open up. Yeah. Um, and your lowest point, I feel like, for both of you guys, you like you you guys found out who your friends were. Oh, when for you, sure. When your lowest point, you know what I mean? Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, you really find out who your who your circle is and who your support really is once mm -hmm. you once you get to that point. I mean, I had, I've had some pretty rough spats. I mean, I said. So probably the hardest thing I'll talk about is I said October pistol in my mouth ready to do it. And the only reason why I didn't kill myself was I'd fucked up so much shit in my life that I was afraid I'd fuck it up. I wouldn't fucking oh. finish it. <laughs> and then I thought about my daughter and like, that's when I really started like the healing process, but I didn't know how to go about it. And as I went through that and then December hit and some stuff went on work wise and personally and, I just didn't know how to handle those objections and like overcome it. And like, man, I'm like my sense of worth just like went to shit. No matter like how much I achieve, it's like, it's never good enough. Like, okay. I just got tired of feeling that way. And I started to reevaluate things and like trying to figure out like what truly is important to Neymar. Like what really is going to make me live the rest of my life happy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, January was busy with the guidings going full tilt. Like, so I didn't really have like, I was so busy and preoccupied. I didn't really, have the time to like really digest what had really gone on. Just knew I wasn't in a place I wanted to be 
mm-hmm. February kind of like started to slow back down where I could start to gain my thoughts and spend a little bit more time like thinking about how like those poor choices and like the things and the actions and like everything around me, like starting to kind of do an assessment of, like who are the people that are important to me in life? Who are the people that stand behind me? Who can I talk to? Like what direction do I want to go career wise? Like, w- like trying to find that focus again and get my grounding and get my feet back down and tighten those bootstraps. Like what direction do I want to go? And I'm still in that process. It really is trying to figure it out. I mean, the hunting business is starting to really take off. My granite business is, is, is great. So it's like, I mean, you got two, how do I find the balance? How do I find the balance at home? Like, how do I make all this stuff work, make everybody happy, make myself happy, not let go. Like somebody's not sacrificing and, yeah. and trying to find that work, love, life balances. That's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's hard and you're not going to conquer it overnight. Bro. <laughs> no, no, you're not, no, it's not. I, I'm still a work in progress also, but the thing that is the most freeing in, and, and I was getting back to the whole you know, finding out who your friends are and, and by opening up and talking about real life stuff, <clears throat> because the hardest part about that is you, f- the, the, that empty feeling that you're all alone and that you're the only one going through it and that you're going to be inconveniencing somebody else's life or bringing them down to a negative level. And they're going to then be a product of your negative environment. It's such a, and it's, it, it's basically Satan telling you, telling you that you're useless mm-hmm. in my opinion. That's what it is. I mean, that we can get biblical if you want, but it's, it's Satan telling you that you're useless and it's Satan winning and he's winning. And I personally just think that, um, uh, you know, I gotta be careful how I say this because the, I hate taking medication. I hate it. Mm-hmm. I do take it. Um, there are some people who are, you know, all about taking medication. As a matter of fact, Jenny Matthews, who was on the last po- podcast, she's, she calls herself Prozac Jenny. She has no shame in the, telling the world that she's on Prozac and, and all the power to her for that. Right. Um, there are some people who do not believe in that, the medication and think it has terrible side effects and they only believe in uh, holistic healing, right? Um, I would, I, I don't want to be on medication if I don't have to be. The medication was just a stepping stone for me to find the clarity, to get the first step of clarity to figure out what direction I needed to go in to get healed. And if it wasn't for the medication, I wouldn't have had the clarity to know that I need to open up and talk about this. The biggest medicine for me and the biggest thing that I'm an advocate about is just making sure that I can preach to as many people as possible that internalizing Deep, dark, emotional thoughts is destructive. And the longer you hold on to it, the closer you get to, like Nate, putting a freaking gun in your mouth, or me having thoughts about suicide more times than I can count. And, and man, that's... That's a shitty feeling. Dude. That is the, like, to even start to, like, man, I I can, like, and for me to say that they still, those thoughts still don't, come across my mind would be a complete lie. Like I still have like that tendencies and I'm an anti-medicine guy. Like I feel that as a human, there's a way to overcome this by pure brain power and pure willingness. And that's just, that's your thing. That's cool. Every, everybody's different. And I I don't hate anybody for what, what as long as you're trying to heal, Mm -hmm. go about it as long as it's healthy. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like those thoughts are, 
it's a shitty feeling to, to like know that you even thought about it and like that makes it even harder to even talk about it because you're like i don't want them to put me in like i'm gonna put me in a padded room and lock me up for fucking 30 days like i don't why am i gonna tell somebody what i truly feel right now and like they let them be concerned i mean should they have been concerned like obviously if it got to the point where it got almost with me that night and i don't we just as even even women too like because with the battle of then we also have a women cohort too that struggle with these same issues and like when did it become i mean we look at these school shootings and stuff and we want to go and blame guns what we have a problem with in the united states is mental mental health health. mental health Mm -hmm. we just brush it under the rug like nobody wants to talk about it it's just like talking about sex like it's just taboo like you don't need to talk about your mental health we're all happy no like you have to be able to be able to comfortable be able to talk about the things that are truly bothering you because if you don't express it and you internalize it now like you're just building a pressure bomb like eventually something's going to poke it and it's going to explode and it's going to be way worse dealing with picking up those pieces than it was if you just started the process the thing that i enjoy the most out of this whole process and again i'm not healed i haven't exercised the demons i've got a you know i got a road ahead of me but the thing that I love, look, my background has been in radio where I've always been kind of in the limelight. Then you transition into TV. So you're still kind of in the limelight and you got what looks or appears to be as thousands of friends, right? <laughs> you got all these people who love you, you know? Oh shit. What if I tell them about the fact that I'm, you know, suicidal or I have suicidal thoughts and, and I'm depressed and I'm crying myself to sleep. And, you know, the thought of my daughter is the only thing that's keeping me alive would that change their opinion of me? Would they still love me as much? I would rather now knowing what I know now, and I'm hoping that somebody who's listening to this, who may be struggling with the same thing, will will figure this out as well, is I would rather open up to the entire world and three-fourths of them, seven-eighths of them, you know, a majority of them think I'm mental, judge me for whatever you want to judge, but I know now who my friends are. True. Mm-hmm. I know who those people are that I can lean on, who I can trust, who will have my back and I can have their back because there is a serious, serious peace of mind that comes with knowing that you have the ability to open up free of judgment or, or any um, a judgment really. I mean, that, that's the main thing It's just the fear of judgment and how you might be a, um, I, I, I don't care anymore. I mean, I, I try not to care. I say I don't care anymore. There are times where I find myself caring, but I'm really trying to challenge myself not to give a shit anymore about what any other... Here's the thing, the, and I've said this in the past, a, a big part of my success came because I didn't give a damn about what any other, what, what people think, thought. And then I got to a certain level to where like, oh, I'm being recognized. I'm being noticed for being successful and then that's when I started to care about what other people think. And then all of a sudden, the thing started to unravel a little mm-hmm. bit. So anyway, I, I, I'm not trying to say all this to make this about me. I'm just trying to echo everything that's being said in this conversation about the importance of finding. Well, first of all, don't, don't give a shit what anybody thinks. Talk about it. Open up. I didn't know that I wanted to talk to Nate Meyer about this. I didn't know if this was going to be the guy that was going to go around on my back and he was going to be talking about how I'm a big pussy and this, that, and other. And <laughs> lo and behold, he turned out to be one of my closest friends about the topic. And, and we check in with each other. At least we try to once, once a, week, a week, once a week, just yeah. to say, Hey man, I'm checking on you. How are you doing? And there's a genuine love and concern and empathy for one another that I would have otherwise never knew 
and actually would have been completely wrong about Nate had I not opened up that day and said something. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's definitely true. And I, and I find that with, with you, with my relationship with you and, and some other people that I've opened up with about it. And it's like, we have to quit worrying and mm-hmm. just, if it's on your mind and it's bothering you and it's affecting you. Like, you got to find a way to talk to about it. And if it puts you, you just got to be, start to like learn to be uncomfortable with your emotions I mean, we know we can put ourselves in vulnerable and uncomfortable situation when it comes to work or anything else like that if you're excelling. But in order for you to excel with your emotions, you have to be able to put that out there. And you have to put, and it's very personal, vulnerable stuff that it could be used against you. But I'd rather somebody use that against me than something else negative attached to it. Because at that point, if they're going to air my laundry, at least it's truth. Mm-hmm. Like, you, know, you know what? I, yeah, I struggle with it and I mm-hmm. own it. Yeah. Well, you're going to hate me for it. Like, sure. How are you going to look at me any different? Like Who we cares? all struggle with these problems. Who like, cares? We all at some point, whether it's a trauma related depression, like we deal with negative thoughts and it's like trying to create that mindset to like find the gratitude in life, finding and putting a positive mindset and just not letting those little things trigger you, whether it's traffic, getting up in the morning and you open up social media and you start your day off, whether it's envy, jealousy, whatever it is that you get from social media that triggers you, like, mm-hmm. like the, avoiding those things and like trying to bring back the happiness, trying to look at life totally different than through somebody else's highlight reel. Yep. 100%. Well, dude, I do love you and I'm proud of you. Um, and I know that <clears throat> this even coming on this podcast was a huge, big step for you. It was, it was huge. It's hard for me. I mean, it's hard to talk about it. It, it is. is. You're putting yourself out there and now like, and that's what I had told people close to me today, like what I was doing. And I was like, man, it's a big step for me like to be able to put myself in a vulnerable situation, tell my story and not worry about like, I don't care what people think about me. Like mm-hmm. I am who I am. I, I do what I do. And like, if you don't like it, like, great. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't care. Sure. Sure. You're not writing my check and you don't control my future. That's it. That's it, man. I'm, I'm super proud of you. I'm grateful for our friendship and where it's been able to evolve in the last several months because of our similar stories. And, um, I guess I'll, you know, we're going to, we're going to get close to wrapping this up because we've already exceeded 90 minutes on this podcast. It's crazy how quick, quick it goes. Can, yeah. No kidding. Um, my bladder is telling me, it's- <laughs> <laughs> we better wrap this up. Um, what's next for Nate Meyer, right? So you've made some, some, like what we both admitted, we got a road ahead of us. We're not, we're not cured, but we've made the baby steps to, to creating a foundation to happiness. So what's next for well, Nate Meyer? Right now, my main focus is on my family, um, with Aiden, which He's not my true son, but I've, I've raised this kid for five years. Um, but he's been, I've neglected some responsibilities, like spending time with him. So now it's like, you can't make up for lost time, but uh, he's a, he's a main focus. Obviously my daughter getting my, like working on my family. And then, then I can focus on my career going the direction I need to go with Valley Oaks and with the countertop business and letting that path take its course. Like I'm comfortable where it's at. I want growth, but right now my main focus is improving my, my internal self, finding myself love. Cause if I can't love myself, nobody's going to love yeah, me. That other growth will come with yeah, your growth. Yeah. Like everything else is going to come with it, but my self growth and finding and like loving my family again and like getting that unity, whether it's co-parenting with Stephanie or whatever the future has with us. Mm-hmm. Like, but right now it's, the kids that we've raised together and raising like that's my main focus and then myself and then growing for the future and feeding off of that. 
Awesome. All right. Put in your plugs. Whether it's your social media handle, whether it's Valley you know, Oaks. I don't plug. Like it's you, no, you do. You do because it's my <laughs> show and, I, and, it's, and I, I run the show here. And so you're going to listen to me, damn it. <laughs> well, if you're needing countertops, Legendary Stone, we're in there Independence. Uh, we can have all those countertop needs. And then if you want to go on a hell of a goose hunt, Valley Oaks Outdoors, look us up on Instagram or Facebook. And if you have any trouble finding them, reach out to me and I'll be happy to connect you. All right. So when we come back, we're going to wrap up episode five of the Papa Ron podcast. I'm so grateful, not only for Q Marathon Media Management for being here and being the most quiet co-host that anybody could ever ask for. You're welcome, people. (laughs) You are welcome. Also, my good friend, Nate Meyer. Um, really proud of you bro i really am and i know it's been a pleasure it's been fun to talk about it proud of both of you guys it's not easy to do i still cringe when it comes to opening up about my struggle but we're going to wrap up this episode coming up next on the papa ron podcast you're listening to the papa ron podcast keep up to date on new podcasts new discussion topics and future casts follow us on facebook instagram tiktok and youtube search papa ron podcast and be sure to like and leave a comment now back to the show here again is your host ronnie phillips Thanks again to Marathon Media Management. Again, I would not be here and doing this podcast to the level of which I'm doing it if it wasn't for my good friends Dakota Thurn and Quentin Verlinick. Dakota couldn't be here tonight, but Q was able to be here. So he's the one responsible for running the camera so that this video or so that this podcast can be offered in video on Spotify and on the Papa Ron podcast YouTube channel. And again, because of their friendship without them, they uh, there would not be a Papa Ron podcast. Also, quick thanks to the voice, the imaging voice. To, uh, for the Papa Ron podcast. His name is Rick Hunter out of Tucson, Arizona. And the guy kind of producing all of the elements, his name is Rich Donovan. He's out of San Francisco. Um, these guys were two guys that I worked with in Tucson back in 2001-ish, I think, somewhere in there. Anyway, uh, Donovan has an online radio station that plays music from the 80s and the top hits of other decades. Check it out online at coolfmonline.com. Uh, next week on the show... Which, by the way, before I talk about what's happening next week on the show, I should also mention that it was originally scheduled that Mark Richter, former wide receiver of the Kansas City Chiefs, was going to be on this episode, but he had to reschedule because something came up last minute. He's not going to be on next week, but he'll be on the week after that. Next week on the show, I do that every time. Next week on the show is going to be a good friend of mine, Joe Papura from Midwest Land Group. He's an awesome real estate agent that sells uh, land uh, across the Midwest. And he's also a guy who's been struggling with depression and anxiety, and he's got uh, his story to share and how he's been battling with that. We'll talk to him next week about that. Thanks again to my guests, Nate Meyer, Quentin Berlinek. I'm Ronnie Phillips. You've been listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, hit subscribe now and tell your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and other social platforms. To participate on the show, leave a message with your comments or questions by calling or texting 816-558-6389. That's 816-558-6389. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. Papa Ron Podcast. Oh.